everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nerds Podcast. This is episode 138, and my name is Caitlin. I'm currently recording this episode while on board the Rold Amundsen, which is a ship in the Hurtigruten fleet. We've been sailing from Icy Bay over to Kodiak Island all day today, and we had a really, really good day for whales. Um, I just wanted to see if I could make a recording while on the ship and then post it uh, once we get into port. So this is my little experiment to see if I can still do some of these podcast episodes while at sea. And I'm very excited to be able to put out episodes a little bit more regularly if possible when we have topics um, that don't require having an internet connection to record. Uh, so just sightings lately. Uh, we took off from Vancouver on July 3rd. We have seen quite a few humpback whales. Uh, that first day at sea, as we went through Queen Charlotte Sound, past the island of Haida Gwaii, we had good numbers of humpbacks, probably 30 or 40. We also had a decent round of uh, sightings of fin whales. We had a few sightings of doll's porpoise, but overall actually pretty light on the doll's porpoise front this time. I think mostly just a symptom of the route that we are on. We're not really in the inside passage as much this time around as we work our way up to the Aleutians and to Nome, um, but definitely still having really great whale sightings nonetheless. Uh, as we got into the Inside Passage, our first Zodiac cruising location was Misty Fjords, and uh, it's interesting to see later in the season there's a lot less snow up on the mountain, so a lot less water flowing down the sides of the mountain. Uh, so the waterfalls were still going, but some of them had become a lot less volume or some of the smaller falls had stopped. Uh, some of the zodiacs did see a black bear mom with I think a cub, maybe more than one cub, um, but unfortunately not everybody saw it including myself, but hopefully there will be more bears to come as we get further north and into brown bear range here within the next couple days. So then after Misty Fjords we went to Wrangell and uh, the Zodiac drivers have like a local cruise option that they do with guests right there in the town of Wrangell with a local guide on board. But guests that went on the whale watching tour got to see surface feeding humpback whales. They were not bubble feeding, but they did see surface feeding humpback whales. And that was really, really excellent. I saw the photos. It was really beautiful light and really good, nice close feeding action. So guests were super stoked and uh, it was really cool to see their footage. We did see what looked like either lunge feeding or potentially bubble net feeding humpbacks on one of our transit days as well early in the morning. Um, but we couldn't really go off of our transit course where we were. And then also there was a lot of fishing boats between us and the whales. And so <laughs> trying to put a big cruise ship uh, through the gauntlet of salmon fishermen that had lines out trolling would have been uh, really, really tough to do, but it was cool to see from a distance. It was a pretty big size group, like six to eight whales, all surface feeding together. And from a distance, it really did give us the impression that it was probably bubble net feeding. Uh, we also that day saw other groups of humpback whales. We had some surface active ones. So even though they were a very large distance away, we got to see breaching and flipper slapping. And so guests were super happy with that experience and nice, calm, sunny skies. It's been very, very warm the first like four days of our cruising, like shorts and t-shirts type weather, even by the time we got to Sitka. So 
pretty awesome. Um, now we're getting into more of the true Alaska weather where it's overcast and it rained a little bit today. Uh, but even our cruising in Icy Bay was super successful for weather. So uh, once we got into the bay, we were able to get out of that big open ocean swell. And the ice was pretty manageable, and so it made it really pleasant for cruising. And then we also got to take the ship down Ton Fjord to go look at Tyndall Glacier, which is something that like hardly anybody ever gets to do. It's a very long and narrow fjord. Um, and if you are the type of person that likes to Google things later, if you look up, I'll add it to the Facebook notes in the comment section too, like I usually do with our resources. But if you look up in 2015, there was a huge tsunami in Ton Fjord because the mountainside just next to Tyndall Glacier, after the glacier had retreated from that part of the land, the pressure released off the land and the hillside collapsed in like a hundred thousand tons or cubic meters or something of debris fell, hit the glacier and then hit the water and sent up a 193 meter wave. So it's like a 600 foot tall wave down the fjord and then out into icy bay like if you would have been in there in a boat even the size of the ship that we're on like you'd be dead <laughs> it was just like so crazy and so when we got in there you could see like this whole huge piece of the mountain is just gone and there's this big gravel pile underneath it so pretty incredible uh, definitely a little scary thought in the back of my head but it is heavily monitored so you know we're not crazy for going in there we do have some Im Im indication of what's happening in there um, before we choose to operate in there so uh, yeah pretty amazing only uh, first time this ship had ever been in there so uh, only ever seen it from photos or anything like that beforehand but really really cool to see and uh, inside Icy Bay, we got really nice views of harbor seals, uh, especially later in the day as the tide started to pull the ice field towards the ship. All the seals that had been resting on the ice kind of got pulled with it. And we had dozens of seals swimming around us on our last Zodiac cruises of the day. And we did get to see a few northern sea otters also, which is always cool to see. Even from the ship, you can tell they're so much bigger <laughs> than the southern sea, sea otter. I mean, they weigh like a hundred pounds for the big males. It's just like this is the size of a large dog. They're so big. So guests got to see that kind of stuff and they were super stoked on it, especially the seals. And then as I was cruising back on my last Zodiac cruise in Icy Bay, I swear a harbor porpoise blew right by me because the, the breath noise was much louder and it was like the two tones of like the out and then the in. And as I whipped my head around, I, I could have swore I saw the back of its dorsal fin, that triangle shape on the back of the animal, was not a harbor seal. Even though there were loads of harbor seals there, I'm pretty sure it was a harbor porpoise. But by the time I tried to turn around and find it, it was weaving in between the ice and there were dozens of seals around. So I never really saw it again. But I have seen harbor seal or harbor porpoise in Icy Bay before, so it doesn't completely shock me that it could have been a harbor porpoise. Um, and then today, as we transited uh, between Icy Bay and headed to Kodiak tomorrow morning, we have had a lot of marine life. We started to get into some really nice seabirds in the morning. We had uh, fulmars, we had forktail storm petrels, we had a few city shearwaters. And then as the morning progressed, it got closer to lunchtime. We had um, tufted puffins, which was really fun to see. 
And then all of a sudden we really started to see dozens of fin whales, just fin whales everywhere. Um, and I kind of was coming and going from the main cabin area in the science center and out on the forward observation deck. And at one point, one of our other guides came down and he was like, oh, we saw two sperm whales from the knot tying session up on uh, the the 10th deck. And I was like, no, you didn't. I thought they were like messing with me. But then they marked it on the sightings board. And I was like, oh, they actually did see sperm whale. So then at one point we had a report from someone else on the observation deck of a whole bunch of whales coming up ahead of us. So we got everybody that we could out on deck seven and I went out there and it was a really large gathering of fin whales and they're feeding in the proximity of big groups of puffins. So that was really cool to see fin whales and puffins feeding together. And then uh, one of our guides called me on the phone and he was up on deck 10 and he was like, hey, one of these whales in this group of four, the closest group we were watching, He's like, it looks weird. It's small and it has like a more like wide and more upright dorsal fin. And I was like, I don't know if it's a young fin whale. And then he and I were kind of going back and forth whether it was a say whale or not. Um, we're undecided at this point, but very interesting observation nonetheless, whether it was a younger fin whale or if it was indeed a say whale. Of course, we never got a photo of its head to be able to say for sure. So that's why I'll just leave it as speculation at this point and then while I was on the phone with him I said hey there's a humpback whale out on the on the little rain line out off the port side of the ship and I kept watching it while I was on the phone with him and then finally I was like I don't know if this is a humpback and it went to dive and I had hung up the phone at that point it had been at the surface for a long time and as it went to dive I saw like a second weird little hump right before its tail and I was like oh my god that's a sperm whale and so it did a nice beautiful high fluke up dive and I got the whole dive sequence and looked at the fluke photo and it definitely was a sperm whale so several sperm whale sightings throughout the day as the day went on we had more the same mix of seabirds lots of tufted puffins all throughout the afternoon more scattered fin whales um, at one point I went off the deck and as soon as I sat down our bird observer or ornithologist on board uh, sent a message and said there were killer whales, but they were already quite a ways past us and behind us by the time we spotted them, so there was no way to really turn and look at them uh, from the ship. And But a few of us went out on deck, and as soon as uh, the ornithologist, me, and another the other guy, Chris, who I'd been talking to back and forth all day about the whales, uh, he was trying to find the killer whales in his binoculars, and he was like, oh, there's another sperm whale. <laughs> so overall... Super fantastic day. I went out one more time after our staff meeting um, around like 8 o'clock in the evening. We had another good shot of like a dozen fin whales for about 20 minutes or so. More puffins, black-footed albatross, storm petrels, fulmars. And so really, really good sea day. Very productive day in the Gulf of Alaska. Um, a few photos might be good enough for photo ID uh, for the fin whales, but I also logged all our sightings in... Um, Whale Alert, which is an app by NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, and since we're covering a stretch of water that not very many ships cover and also even less ships report sightings from that area, um, I'm definitely stoked that we got to be out there and transit that water and, and put in some data for uh, NOAA to look at. And I think we might have seen a NOAA ship today too, but I couldn't get the marine traffic information to load 
uh, when we were in the vicinity of the ship, but there might have been a NOAA survey ship near us today. So as we go into Kodiak, I'm excited to see what else is going on whale and bird wise and then after that we start getting into the Katmai area the next day so potentially brown bears which can be pretty exciting to see and then we really start to work our way out the Aleutians we go all the way to Dutch Harbor and then we hang a right and we go up to uh, St. Matthew Island and then on to Nome so traveling some water that hardly anybody gets to travel in the Bering Sea as a tourist and so it's going to be really, really exciting. So that's the latest, greatest of what's going on uh, on the ship. Um, but I also wanted to take a little time during this episode to talk about um, one thing that I got to do for fun before I got back on the ship. And then also just, I feel like we've got to address it again. The killer whales off the Iberian Peninsula, I, <laughs> they're just, they're winning the internet this summer like killer whales off the coast of Spain and Portugal are just winning on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram they're just having a moment this summer and I know we've if you're a diehard podcast listener you have found those little pockets over the years of where we have talked about this situation with the killer whales off the Iberian coast but uh, let's just get a little context and regroup and talk about it again. So if for some reason you do not have the social media trend of killer whales on your feed this summer, what has been happening since 2020 is a group of killer whales has been taking a high interest in boats transiting uh, the near coast of uh, kind of Strait of Gibraltar area, Iberian Peninsula. So talking about eastern North Atlantic and it has been identified that it's a very specific group of these Iberian orcas that has um, mostly been the, the perpetrators of this interactions with boats. And just some context about the naming. So the main whale that gets all the headlines is this female named White Gladys. Um, and it's a, I think I've got this all... S- rate as far as how is everyone related I had to look at a couple different articles but there's a female in the pod that's the like the mom and the grandma named Gladys LaMary so she's the matriarch of the group and white Gladys is one of her daughters who travels with two of her other siblings Gladys Clara and Gladys Delilah and White Gladys, the story is that she had a negative interaction with a boat, and so now she has, like, recruited her fellow pod mates to, like, seek revenge is, like, the very catchy headline version of this story. Um, But basically their whole pod, it's Gladys Lemaria, and then the siblings Clara, Delilah, and White Gladys, or Blanca, White Gladys has two of her own children as well, and one of them's named Tank, and one of them's named Philibrace. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, and they all have the the pre-name uh, Tarek and Philibrace. Yeah, sorry, reading that again. Uh, they all have the prefix Gladys on their name because it actually comes from the term gladiator orca. So the, I, the scientists that study this group of Iberian orcas 
the ones that interact with boats, they call gladiator orcas. And so since 2020, there's been over 200 interactions where the killer whales have actually touched the boat. And there's been over 400 reports of killer whales in the proximity of boats reported by boaters off the coast of Spain and Portugal near the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, of the cases that were really looked at from 2022 onward, 142 were categorized as orca interactions where the animal touched the boat, and then 283 were considered uneventful passages. Although if you read some other people's um, reports, it may be over 200 interactions at this point. Some people are calling it the orca uprising or they're organizing or, oh my God, there's so many memes. I swear my mom sends me memes like every day of it. So <laughs> I may put some of those in the YouTube video. It's going to take me a couple extra days to process the YouTube video compared to when the audio version of this episode is going to come out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty hilarious to see how people have just like taken this information and run with it this year. And there definitely has been a lot more footage from boaters this year uh, of the damage and of what's going on. So it's definitely more available to the news to pick up. Um, but I am going to kind of take the same side as a lot of the scientists that have actually been interviewed and not play into the media as to like what is happening with these killer whales um basically killer whales are really big curious strong and sometimes mean-spirited animals well their version of fun is not everybody else's version of fun is the better way to say it so they don't have hands so how they interact and learn about things around them using physical touch is typically by touching it with their face. A lot of the videos that have come from underwater and even some of the topside videos, depending on the layout of the boat, show the killer whale, you know, very gently, like getting in the slipstream, kind of turning, looking around on the underside of the boat is kind of how they start the interaction. And then they start touching the rudder with their face. And then it ends up being quite an aggressive and strong use of force. Like they push on the rudder quite a bit with their face. But you have to remember, depending on how big the boat is and how well attached the rudder is, it doesn't take much for them to just shove that thing to the point where it, one half shoves up into the keel and then the other half rips out the bottom of the keel. And now all of a sudden your boat's flooded. I mean, they're really, really big and strong animals and... They can use their face to ram a elephant seal or a baby gray whale so hard that it starts internally bleeding. You know, like this animal is designed to inflict heavy force on another marine mammal. So a rudder of a boat, especially a small boat, is not really that big of a deal to them. So I think some of it is just like play and the investigation that goes too far uh, more than it is them seeking revenge or, you know, retaliating against humans or, you know, being aggressive towards humans. I think it's more like, hey, I figured out if I push this thing really hard, it moves. And so that's why, and that's kind of been the logic of a lot of researchers for years. In 2021, 
There were protocols that were put out by researchers to kind of get the killer whales to stop. And the first recommendation is stop moving. Like, put your sails down, put your engine in neutral, because then there's nothing for the killer whales to chase. Like, it's not a game anymore. And so the killer whales usually will give up interest. And there is some science to show that the protocol f sort of works, but not as good as everyone would hope, especially if you're the one on the unlucky boat. Um, there's a, a, another article I found that showed out of the 231 boats that reported physical contact with killer whales in the Strait of Gibraltar since 2022, they found that 63% of slightly damaged boats did not follow the protocol compared with the 36% that did. So not super, super effective, but definitely increases your chances of not having severe damage to your, of not having damage to your vessel. Um, but when they looked at cases of severe damage where the boat stopped working, needed to be towed in, um, half the boats followed the protocol and the other half did not. So the protocol really didn't have that big of an effect in the case of severe damage where towing was required. So obviously uh, boaters don't love hearing like, you have a 50-50 chance of avoiding severe damage if you do this. Uh, but hey, I would take a 50-50 chance over no chance. And uh, they definitely, every person that weighs in on the effectiveness of the protocol says do not try to physically interfere with the killer whales because that's going to do no one any good anywhere. The only deterrent I've heard um, that potentially could become a recommendation is uh, to use these metal pipes and basically uh, create an acoustic deterrent underwater that has been used before in this area to keep killer whales away from uh, oil spill areas. So it says one of the non-lethal deterrents they're currently testing involves oil pipes when hung from the sides of boats and banged on. These eight foot steel pipes are meant to make the sound the orcas actively avoid because it reminds them of being deterred from a, sp a spill area. So I don't know how effective that's really going to be, but a, a, the right kind of acoustic deterrent could maybe be helpful. So we'll see how it all continues to go on throughout this the summer. Now that they're a hot news item, <laughs> we may end up getting quite a bit more publicly available data about, you know, the progression of this situation. Um, another thing that a couple different researchers um, point out is not only are killer whales, you know, curious and big and strong, uh, they also kind of are copycats. So uh, they once one kind of figures out like a fun thing to do, then all of a sudden you see a bunch of them do that. And I've kind of seen some of that to a certain extent throughout my years. Like I've seen them all put ocean sunfish on their head and then like they don't do it for several years and then all of a sudden they're putting sunfish on their head again um same thing with like torturing birds some years they like really like rhinoceros oclets and they just beat them to death and some years it's fulmars and some years it's common murs and some years they don't do it at all and so you know it's just they do 
once one finds something entertaining, they do tend to pick it up and copy each other a little bit. And there is some evidence showing that this behavior has spread from this original group of six killer whales, uh, which is the white Gladys group, to upwards of 15 different individuals have been involved with attacking boats. Some um, of the unfortunate boat victims <laughs> have said that the more recent attacks seem to be very efficient. That's also not terribly surprising. Uh, over the years, like take uh, gray whale hunts, for example. The, one of the first gray whale hunts that was ever recorded on a major film for BBC Blue Planet, that hunt was five to six hours long. The cameramen almost ran out of film before the whole thing was over. Fast forward to, you know, 2016, 2017, gray whale hunts are taking less than an hour. I think we, I witnessed one that was like less than 40 minutes. So they definitely, the more they practice something, the more efficient they become and the better they know their body and they know each other and they know the prey. And so that doesn't surprise me. Same thing with the years that we saw them hunt common dolphins. Some years uh, they hunt common dolphins or Pacific white-sided dolphins pretty regularly. The first few attempts are, they're a little rusty, they're a little slow, the dolphin gets away, and then all of a sudden they're just like dolphin killing machines and will take like four in one day. So that anecdote doesn't completely surprise me from the boaters saying that they're very efficient when they want to actually break the vessel, uh, but I'm not really sure that I would be willing to say that they want to, they're actively trying to break the vessel. I think it's just kind of one of those things where they understand the movement of the boat and have, are very quick at sizing it up and then know what they want from the rudder and just go for it um, without messing around. So, you know, killer whales having a moment. Um, there's like, in addition to memes, there's like stickers and like other swag memorabilia and like all kinds of stuff that you can... <laughs> Oh, that you can buy. It's just, it's pretty hilarious how much they're just winning the internet this year. Uh, the other thing that I went to before I got back on the ship for this summer is I went to the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, or OMSI for short, which is in Portland. And they have, they just happen to have a killer whale exhibit now until January. And it was not sparked by <laughs> all the news hype about killer whales. This had been in the making for years ahead of time. And it's mostly focused on uh, killer whales of the Pacific Northwest, but does talk about killer whales um, and issues that killer whales face worldwide. And I think it did a really good job of telling their story, but also telling the human dimension and what ways we have impacted or um, have implemented killer whales into our culture since time immemorial with indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest all the way to um, the beginnings of the captive industry and hopefully now the ends of the captive industry, the whale watching industry, and just kind of modern culture. So it's a two-floor exhibit in OMSI. It's going to be on display I think until January 28th. And it's just part of the regular set of exhibits in there. So you don't need to like buy an extra thing. You can just go to your regular admission for OMSI. 
The website is omsi.edu. If you happen to think you're going to be in Portland now between now and January and you want to go check it out. Um, but basically it starts off with a pretty good showing of like indigenous culture and art, transitions into science, a little bit more indigenous culture and art, transitions to the beginnings of the captive industry with uh, the capture of... Well, it talks a little bit about the, the competition history with fishermen and they were harpooning them in the Pacific Northwest because they thought they were taking all their fish. Then um, the incident where they accidentally captured Moby Doll and then decided to put the whale on display, um, how it was part of the World's Fair in Vancouver, and then all of a sudden that led into Shamu and Namu and the Vancouver Aquarium and then ultimately SeaWorld. And it also um, had some movie posters from like back when we used to portray killer whales as very terrifying animals and then transitioned into uh, free willy and then blackfish and it talked about uh, there was a good little section about morgan the killer whale who was at was at laurel parque and was like staying out of the tank and then has since been bred and has had calves in captivity and all this stuff um and then also there's kind of a, a southern resident storyline throughout the whole exhibit. So downstairs there are three life-size models of killer whales, of southern resident killer whales. Uh, one of them is of Ruffles, who is a killer whale that is not a male that is not alive anymore, but a big male killer whale. Um, one is of Scarlet um, when she was a little calf. And then the other one is of Scarlet's mom, J16 Slick. And out of the three, Slick is the only one that's still alive. And so there is a little bit of a follow-through of the story of Scarlet and how the plight of the Southern Resident Killer Whales with the lack of salmon and solutions that we've tried to come up with, how to help save these whales. And uh, it kind of finishes at the end of the exhibit with kind of like a call to action and a completion of Scarlet's story throughout the exhibit. So um, really cool. Also, great use of mixed media like great ways to reach all different kinds of learners like there's actual um, art there's a big beautiful display that use is used to carry food during a potlatch that's at the beginning and that's like a display you can walk around total 360. There's some art behind walls whether it's beadwork or paintings or carved oars or um, designs on hats the bentwood boxes there's paddles, there's all kinds of things from indigenous people of the area, and those are behind glass to protect them. Um, there's lots of videos throughout the whole thing. Some of them are self-paced that you use a touchscreen to turn on. There was a touchscreen table that broke down the anatomy of the killer whales. There was a skull that a uh, model that people could touch. There's a big wall that displayed um, you know, different positions of the killer whale so you could see all the anatomy features, tell male from female show the different surface behaviors. There was um, movie posters and displays. There was memorabilia like VHS tapes and sweatshirts and buttons and protest signs. And um, there was different like information boards throughout everything. And then there was art as well, like modern art using plastic and then kids drawings from schools. And, you know, all it was honestly very very well done so I highly recommend it if you're going to be in the Portland area it's a really good exhibit I got to go through with a couple friends and my sister and one of my friend's kids and so it was really fun to kind of like have adults and kids all 
having something to do for over an hour in this exhibit, even though we went at um, just slightly slower than a six-year-old's pace. Um, it was really, really interesting, and it was really good. So those two things kind of have made this episode, you know, all about the killer whales, um, but definitely something that I feel like we should, we should cover again. So wanted to take a little bit of time to do that. And uh, kind of just thinking through part of the exhibit, it really reminded me of Jason Colby's book, which I'll make another shout out for again if you have heard us recommend that book before. Um, I think it's called Killer Whale, How We Came to Know and Love the Ocean's Greatest Predator. Um, so it's a really good trip down memory lane thinking about some of the history he talked about with the hunting of killer whales in the Pacific Northwest as competition with fishermen to then uh, the, the capture and display of Moby Doll. Um, there was quite a bit of information about the beginning of the captive industry with like Paul Spong and some of the other original killer whale catchers that started catching killer whales for the captive industry who are heavily featured in Jason's book. And so if you have been interested in reading the book or listening to it as an audiobook, I definitely recommend it. I might honestly listen to it again because part of the route that we go on with this ship is going through uh, the inside passage along Vancouver Island. So going through like Johnstone Strait, go by Telegraph Cove when we are on the southbound trip because we go through Alert Bay. Uh, we go through the Seymour Narrows near Campbell River. So we're going through a lot of the places that he talks about in the book and how they're important for the history of human interaction with killer whales and also the human uh, story of how we used to fish for salmon in those areas and how much salmon we really took out of the water. And so I might give it a listen again, honestly. And uh, seeing the movie posters also was um, pretty funny to be reminded. Jason talked about this in his um, ACS talk when he came to ACS Monterey several years ago. He was like, oh yeah, we used to think his killer whales is these demons. I mean, look at this guy with like this basically like rough and tough military uh appearance and he's like facing off with these killer whales in this movie poster and it's like this it's pretty hilarious to just look at how like afraid of them we have been over human history and I found this interesting article on live science uh, that was published about a week ago and even like looking at the historic I was just reminded of looking at the historic descriptions from like Pliny the Elder and stuff about how these killer whales were seen as an enormous massive flesh armed with teeth you know how how we originally settled on the scientific name Orsinus orca and calling them killer whales um, and so just a couple of little fun excerpts from that article um that says, apart from rock carvings, which of course also qualify as an early kind of description, we owe the first written description of killer whales to Pliny the Elder, who lived in the first century AD. Pliny was a diligent and hardworking officer in the Roman Empire, who in his spare time sought to collect and present all the knowledge in the world in his magnum opus, Naturalis Historia, so natural history. Um, you may refer to this first set of books as the first encyclopedias, and Pliny did write 37 volumes of Naturalist Historia. Killer Whales appear in volume 9, which he actually loops, uh, loops, um, lots in with the natural history of fishes. And so as much as that sounds incorrect, he does actually identify them as mammals. 
So he says the whales were mammals that nursed their young from milk glands, breathed the air with lungs and not gills, and had four limbs instead of fins. And um, this is probably from, actually, some of it is from necropsies on shore would be my guess because he knows that those fins are four limbs on the inside. So you have to have seen a dead whale to know that. And um, the reason why they get put in with the fishes is because they're marine creatures that live in the water. And so, you know, we didn't know the different things back then. And so he just put them in with the fish. And uh, he also writes about baleen whales and he has some really good observations about them. Pliny tells how big baleen whales sought shelter in secluded bays to give birth to their calves and then adds, This fact, however, is known to the orca, an animal which is particularly hostile to the balena, and the form of which cannot be in any way adequately described, but as an enormous mass of flesh armed with teeth. So (laughs) he does write that killer whales are pretty hostile from the beginning. These are some of our earliest natural history written records uh, from, you know, uh, this one of the original naturalists, I would say, um, considered by modern history terms. And so he displays them as as monsters and that sort of hangs on through the centuries. I mean, there are other naturalists and writers who also uh, say similar things and report of the aggressive behavior of killer whales. And then when they finally get their scientific name in the 1700s, it settles on Orsonus Orca, which means belonging to the underworld or demon from the depths. And so it, it's an interesting thing. And I think actually I heard um, a shark biologist, I think his name's Chris Lowe. He's, I've heard him speak in person, but he also was on the Ologies podcast years ago. And he was like, I want to know who the PR person was for killer whales. Because they went from this huge predator monster thing to be afraid of in the sea to everyone's favorite cute cuddly little animal. And he's a shark biologist. And so he's like, can we do that for sharks? (laughs) So it is pretty amazing how we've transitioned our perspective on these animals. And then now I feel like there's just like this like everybody's on unsteady ground so to speak about what to think about them you know like we want them to be wild and free and we love them and we think they're beautiful and smart and people call them sea pandas and oh don't call them or uh, don't call them killer whales call them orcas it's a nicer term which spoiler alert it's not um but then now we've got this whole thing going on with killer whales attacking boats and are they really seeking revenge against humans and it's just it's hilarious how much is happening on the internet this year so That's my two and a half cents on killer whales having a moment in summer of 2023. And if you see funny memes, you can send them my way if you want to. Uh, To kind of keep up with what's going on with the podcast and with whale nerds in general, if you made it to the end of the episode, thank you so much. Uh, You can keep up with us on social media at whale nerds on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And we do post video versions of our episode on our YouTube channel. And our website is thewhalenerds.com. You can see our blog. You can see episodes. You can see our Patreon. And just another shout out as always. Just so much gratitude to those of you that support us on Patreon. It's really meant a lot to us over the last couple years to have you supporting our work. If you are interested in getting a little bit of behind-the-scenes content from us every once in a while, but also just supporting what we do, 
producing the podcast is not free. And so any support that we get is always greatly appreciated. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month on patreon.com slash whale nerds, or you can find the link on our website, thewhalenerds.com. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully all goes well uploading this when we get to Kodiak tomorrow, and then I'll try and find another time to upload the YouTube sometime soon. And thank you for your patience as things have been a little bit slower this summer as I'm working as an expedition guide in Alaska. It's definitely been very exciting and I've learned a lot, but it also puts a lot of a damper on my schedule. So doing my best to podcast when I can and I'll see you guys all on the next episode. Bye.